Rethinking healthcare takes more than disruption. It takes more than thought leaders. It takes change makers and doers. That's who we'll be speaking to on the Healthcare Rethink podcast, giving you, our dedicated listeners, a rich body of insights to make your own change. This is the Healthcare Rethink Podcast. Yes, this is the Healthcare Rethink Podcast. I am your host, Brian Urban. And today we have our very first, I'll say, panel of experts joining the show, all medical doctors. This is the first time for our little program. So this is quite a treat for our audience. Let me introduce you right off the bat to Dr. Omar Latif, CEO of Rush Medical Center in Chicago and Dr. David Ansel, who, man, you've done so much there. You're now leading all of community health initiatives, and we're going to get into your work deeper. And of course, Dr. David Nash, we've had you on the show before. So glad we're able to wrangle you back on another episode here. So welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for giving me some time today. Great to be here. Thank you. Likewise. Excellent. So with a conversation today, having all of you at the table, I really wanted to get into how health equity is becoming the new center of healthcare delivery across the U.S. And for many leaders, that's true. But for those that haven't yet caught up to designing that type of model of care, they're falling behind a little bit. But you all in Rush Medical Center, Dr. Ansel, Dr. Latif, you have led some great initiatives. And I wanted to... uh, First, get into a little bit about who you are, and then we're going to talk about your Health Equity Institute with the BMO Group, which is just so exciting. Want to get the updates and where you're going there. And Dr. Nash, want to get your perspective on how the landscape has even changed just in the last six months as well. But hey, let's get to know Dr. Latif and Dr. Ansel a little bit more. So uh, Omar, uh, you've been serving here for more than a year as the CEO of Rush Medical Center, previously as president. Uh, you, you touch a lot of things. You're a young guy. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you've come to be the leader, uh, CEO of Rush Medical Center? Sure. I'm a pulmonary critical care physician by training. I grew up here at Rush. I came here to do my fellowship in 2002. Um, I had a phenomenal experience with my mentor, a, a gentleman named Dr. David Ansel, who was the chief medical officer. Our field of interest and our alignment was under quality and how to deliver the best care that you could possibly provide. And we work closely together and that care is expanded to, um, you can't provide great quality care unless you provide it to all people. So our work rush has been really built around taking care of larger populations and um, fighting against injustice in healthcare. And so I did that under uh, Dr. Ansel's sort of uh, guidance and counsel. And in that experience of being a chief medical officer, and then after being chief medical officer, I became the uh, president and CEO of the medical center, Rush University Medical Center. And more recently in July, I became the CEO of the Rush System for Health, uh, where I'm currently serving now. So it's an honor to be here. I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Anson. Yeah, uh, it's been an evolution, of course. I came to Rush back in uh, 2005 as the inaugural chief medical officer at a time when there were no quality metrics. Quality was the important, but there weren't measurements and introduced the idea if you wanted to uh, uh, improve quality, you needed to actually measure it and brought some of the first measurements to the to the board. And so, uh, you know, through that quality improvement lens, of course, then you moved into the safety movement, the idea that you could provide top quality and yet people would be harmed 
uh, in your medical center. In many ways, the safety movement, the zero harm movement, uh, is very much aligned with, I think, this new, uh, this, uh, it's an old idea that's newly risen, not to uh, supersede the quality and safety, but as uh, to be as uh, as important as these, the equity movement, no inequities. Uh, so, uh, you know, th- the quality, safety, and equity movements are actually collinear movements, all of them based on the premise that if you want to improve something, you have to measure it, and then you got to focus on what's wrong uh, to make it better. So that's been kind of my evolution and uh, Omar's evolution. We've co-evolved together. Uh, I'm just a lot older than he is. <laughs> what what a good deep end. I'm now I'm now devolving, but he's continuing <laughs> to evolve. <laughs> I love the torch gets passed on Obi Wan Kenobi style. I, I I love that. And and Doctor Nash, uh, uh, Father of Population Health. Uh, need no intro here, but uh, wanted to get a, an update on you. And actually, congratulations, you've got an extended family. Uh, your daughter recently had uh, some nuptials uh, overseas, actually. Overseas, yes, yes. So, first of all, great to be on the program again and wonderful with my colleagues, uh, Omar Latip and David Ansel. Uh, yes, yeah, so just very quickly, we're back from Mumbai, India where I met 150 uh, members of our extended family, and uh, it was really fantastic. It's my third time in India, second time in Mumbai. So, uh, outstanding opportunity. Yes, it was. Uh, I expect those. I didn't get any, so we'll we'll connect on those. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. But uh, great to have uh, David Ansel, uh, and Omar and I are both in the David Ansel fan club, I think it's important for your listeners, of course, that uh, uh, David Ansel's uh, 2017 book, The Death Gap, uh, featuring what happens in the our great city of Chicago, uh, could be a roadmap for where we are in the post-COVID world. Meaning, all of a sudden, it seems to folks like uh, Ansel and Nash that the world is finally understanding how important it is to have uh, equitable uh, access to care, access to procedures, access to primary care doctors, access to safe water, food, all the rest. So, and the amazing impact that all of these factors have on health. And the work being done at Rush and their recent uh, New England Journal of Medicine uh, article, the one of many, many about West Side United, I, I think, is uh, reigniting a national movement to pay attention to these issues. So I'm just basking in their reflected glory about the work that they've done, and it sets a truly a model for what other academic medical centers, in our opinion, have to do uh, moving forward. And I could not basking in glory as well because I think Dr. Latif and Dr. Ansel, you really applied zip code analysis and you've taken it a few steps further and what you'd mentioned uh, Dr. Nash in terms of the death gap, the the life expectancy gap and focusing on the difference between uh, Chicago neighborhoods and specifically West Chicago, uh, that West side has more than half a million residents in 10 neighborhoods. It's greater than the size of Atlanta. And when you think about that and the change in life expectancy being around 70 versus 82, if you go east on the blue line in Chicago, that's incredible. And it's also tragic and it's it's actually embarrassing in our comp- 
uh, our country that this has happened, but you all have stepped forward and you've done the research. There's no more evidence that needs to be put forth. It's a fact here. And I, I want to get into the Rush BMO Institute for Health Equity. Uh, Dr. Latif, you announced this in May of 21. So it's been a couple of years. Uh, it was, I believe, about a $10 million investment into four big pillars that we're going to get into, which is uh, education, workforce development, community-based clinical practice, and, and health equity research. I, I want to get uh, an idea of what it was back in 2021 to have this partnership and to launch that. And, and I want to get some updates too, but can you take me back to May of 21, uh, Dr. Latif and Dr. Ansel, and tell me how much that meant and, and how you guys started to kick that off? Or yeah, so, so I'd love to get started on this because I think it's such an important subject. And you, you alluded to some of it, and then I'll turn over the BMO Institute specifics to Dr. Ansel. You know, we spent a lot of time in this country proving data and and making academic arguments. And you can get pretty famous just writing articles over and over again about inequity. And you can show it and you can take your turns picking different diseases in different cities and then even get funded. Very famous institutions are funding large projects to show or to answer the question is, will you get a different outcome if you have a different color? I think as sin and as a world, we have to stop doing those studies and transition that effort into solving the problem. That was the conversation that was led here at Rush in not just the Bebo Institute, but in lot our overarching pillars for our hospital. We put equity as one of the pillars of our, our overarching strategic plan. How we solve that has to shift from words to actions. Dr. Ansel led the team that created actionable plans, dashboards in which you could follow in different environments to create the ability to change things like the death gap. And so like anything else in science, you have to call out the problem, but we spend too much time, I believe, as a field continuing to call out the problem and far less time trying to solve it. So what West Sides United ones, what the BMO Institute are, are shifting away from actions into these are salvageable plans with spreadsheets that show us what's working, what's not working, where we can adjust as we as we go on. So, uh, David, why don't you ask, talk about the specific so, BMO. Yeah, we uh, began to put this strategy together back in 2013, 2014, launched it in 2016, uh, then decided that if we were going to have an impact, so think about it, quality meant measuring uh, things within your four walls, safety meant measuring things within your four walls. We got pretty good at it, and then Omar took over, and we got even better at it. And Russia is the top-ranked hospital world in terms of quality, in terms of safety. Vizient ranked you know, one or two uh, in most years, and uh, U.S. do is a world apart honor roll hospital. So if you think about that, you know, we could keep doing that, keep getting better, we've been consistently, and yet not solve the problems of life expectancy gaps. And that required us to think about population health and community health and the geographic nature of it. So our work has been like, well, how do we think about going to solve for these complex problems that now make have you have to go outside your doors uh, to do that? It requires partnerships, it requires uh, relationships, and it requires you really to focus on those drivers that are going to help you move the dial, move the needle on things as complex as life expectancy. So 
you know, that became our challenge. Uh, the death gap we named it not just quality and safety, but life expectancy gap is the problem to solve. To do so, we needed to name the root causes, just like you do a root cause analysis when something goes wrong in the hospital. Not because there's one root cause. There's obviously many root causes when something goes wrong, and the same in the community. But among the root causes we had to name were structural racism, economic deprivation, you know, housing and these other things. And then say, go around, go about now finding solutions in which we could only be a partner in. There's, we're not, uh, we don't believe that we alone can solve these problems, but we think we can help set the table to solve those problems. To do that work and to advance ourselves, we said we need to build this institute. And this institute can't sit within the university and it can't just sit within the health system. It's got to go across our system, but also then to be sort of the catalyst for doing this work uh, in the neighborhood. So we created the, the BMO uh, generous donation from BMO Financial, created this uh, uh, Health Equity Institute. That's not only about solving the problem, but training the next generation of healthcare leaders who will help solve the problem uh, as well. And Dr. Ansel, you hit on something so amazing there at the end is training the next generation of physicians in a medical humanity lens. And I think that, you know, that's where we've been gapped in our country. And I think that's where we're measuring things inside four walls. And Dr. Nash, uh, you're shaping young minds as not only the father of population health, but uh, the founding dean there at the Population Health School in Thomas Jefferson. Are, are, how are you seeing this being adopted and being understood for the next generation physicians in the U.S.? Yeah, it's a great question. It's not just doctors, of course, nurses, pharmacists, social workers, because everything we do is a team sport. Uh, but you've hit on a, a very important issue for the future, which is for folks like Dr. Ansel and me, you know, we're on the other side of the mountain. Uh, what we have to do as leaders is help train the leaders of tomorrow. So the <clears throat> Jefferson College of Population Health is the first such school opened in 2009. Uh, the year before Obamacare, uh, I was lucky to be a dean for uh, 11 years. But the mission of the school is to continue to build a different type of leader for the future, where the issues that Dr. Ansel and Dr. Latif described about the social determinants of health, racial discrimination, putting these issues deeper into the medical curriculum, nursing curriculum, and pharmacy curriculum. Uh, and we do that in uh, all kinds of ways, uh, online master's degrees, the first such kinds of degrees in the country, relationships with many other schools, research in this area, our scholarly peer-reviewed journal, our annual conference, uh, my book, How COVID Crashed the System. I mean, this is a generational issue, which we're not gonna fix tomorrow, but we ha now have more than a decade of helping to create a different kind of leader for whom these issues are a core part of their training. Sadly, however, medical education still is uh, way behind, and uh, that's going to take a, you know additional work to get this into uh, standard undergraduate and graduate medical education. But lots of schools of population health, departments of population health, and uh, incredible growth in our field, especially in the last decade. 
Yeah, it's definitely changing for the better, and I'm seeing that in, in my neck of the woods, and yeah, New England as well. And it's you can feel the change because it's needed, and, and what's been highlighted from the COVID nineteen pandemic. So let me shift back to to Dr. Latif and Dr. Ansel here. I, I want to throw out a stat question at the same time here. There was a report from McKinsey that uh, went out in 2019. They found from their research that about 45% of individuals across various healthcare coverage types experienced at least one unmet basic need. Do you think that is going to change over the next decade? And do you think the Health Equity Institute that BMO is partnering with you all on are you going to close that as a part of addressing the death gap, the unmet basic needs? You know, that's a, uh, you know, there's been growing wealthy inequality uh, in the United States uh, and certainly extremes between the top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. And the best literature suggests that, you know, when you fall between uh, below median in- uh, income, your social, the social stresses on you and your family uh, increase and so the the approaches to the solving this are have to be uh, comprehensive. I can tell you about some of some of the work uh, that uh, we're doing uh, here at Rush. And so you now we have a university and it's got four colleges. And I just want to go back to the education piece, but so we're integrating uh, equity uh, and training and how to address uh, these kind of social needs into the curriculum across uh, all of our colleges. Uh, the uh, the educators who put it together are calling them sensibilities, uh, not just competencies, but how do you d- develop the skills to not only uh, uh, know how to ask uh, patients uh, about their needs, but how do you go about solving for them? Uh, you know, the, uh, the kind of social needs that uh, people have, we must identify, uh, uh, and there is now a growing movement with Medicare, uh, with CMS, uh, and the Joint Commission and others, uh, that's going to, and insurance companies that we should be screening for these nays. But closing the gaps are going to require different solutions. And some of the work that we're doing here uh, is uh, to adopt an anchor mission, uh, which is to take go beyond just the healthcare delivery uh, aspect of our work, but really addressing those community determinants of health, those structural determinants of health that lead to social needs. We know that many of our patients have more than one social need, but if we can't begin to address those uh, community conditions, and so we adopted an anchor mission, and that simply means that a hospital or health system, by its definition, is a big employer. Uh, Multinational companies, they don't roll out of the neighborhood when the economic conditions change, Uh, but an engine for economic growth and wealth building and so we have this a very attentional approach uh, to our neighborhoods to hire locally and create career pathways uh, into wealth, to purchase locally and support local businesses uh, in their growth, particularly off of our supply chain. In the case of, uh, of Rush, we're partnered with Westside United with five other health systems uh, doing that uh, simultaneous investing locally into uh, uh, interventions uh, oftentimes, these are uh, uh, bringing uh, capital resources to communities that lead to jobs uh, and wealth creation while addressing health and health care needs. So we look at that as being sort of uh, a simultaneous uh, approach and an approach that really all healthcare systems can uh, take to improve the conditions uh, in the neighborhood. 
Yes, we have to identify them at the level of the individual patient, do our best to solve them. But if we're going to close them, it's going to be sort of how can we as as uh, uh, big companies uh, improve the health of communities, leveraging our, our business units for equity? The other thing I would add to that, Brian, is that the reality is, you know, your question was, is it getting better? To, to simplify your question, is it going to get better in the next 10 years? So if the one one thing COVID did was called out a problem that all of healthcare and science knew existed for years. There were studies that showed a, a, an African-American woman with breast cancer would have a much higher mortality than a Caucasian. We knew that. It wasn't front and center. Uh, instead, we kept doing studies to see if it counted in other diseases. When the pandemic started, it showed the entire world in front of you in real time. And it showed Seattle, it showed New York, it showed Chicago, a mortality of a disease three times higher in the same city based on color. The question is, is this going to get better? If it doesn't, then we should all be ashamed because we saw the data in front of us in real time and we were able in real time to affect change by opening access. But the reality is the solutions have to come from more than a handful of health centers that believe that this is going to be important. It has to come from the totality of healthcare, and the totality of healthcare is beyond treating hypertension in an ICU. The totality of healthcare is making sure you have a stable job, a safe home, uh, a place to work. Um, you know, we talk about new initiatives that rely on the internet. Not everybody has the internet. We talk about new initiatives that require cell phones. So the broader brush that we paint the future of healthcare has to include more than just hospitals. And the challenge that we have, what we've done at Rush was include those external partners to say, let's all be a part of this. So the way this changes in the next 10 years is if you stop leveraging the battered up post-pandemic group of heroes, which are your frontline providers in every single healthcare system in America who can't by themselves solve inequity. You need an entire village to solve this problem. I think that's that's like fundamental. I think uh, there are, I want to say, a handful of hospitals and health systems around the country that have led the way in understanding this, that the social and structurally terms of health are not going to get solved by uh, just more health care, but a doctor on every corner is not going to happen. On the other hand, I believe the hospitals could do it alone uh, without, uh, you know, uh, sort of a, a, a uniform response across the both the private and the public sector is foolish. And so, you know, the, to the answer your question, though, it's not going to narrow unless we fundamentally double down. Hospitals have done heroic work to lead the way, but there's no way that we're going to sort of address uh, address the conditions, which at, at that heart of these inequities are, you know, racial, uh, historic racial uh, injustices and gaps, uh, but tied to poverty uh, or the not even just poverty, the, you know, the difficulty it is to get above median income. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is not just for black and brown populations. There are uh, large pockets of white uh, pe- uh, people in this country who have been suffering. You know, the United States is the only uh, developed country that hasn't seen life expectancy bounce back after uh, 2020. And Europe, uh, with all the problems they have in Europe, and uh, life expectancy bounce back and is largely driven uh, through social and structural conditions 
for which health and health can contribute to the solutions, but alone can't solve for them. And you bring up these amazing visions and it does take a collective effort and a matrix partnership. More healthcare isn't going to be the answer. That's going to lead to more challenges and burden for those that are on the front lines. And those are even at the strategic levels, like you all now trying to be able to fill gaps and create these new partnerships. So it, it seems as if we have no other direction but to invest into a broad brush to be able to cover a lot of challenges that are seen at the community level. And one thing that you touched on, Dr. Ansel, I want to get a little bit deeper in and, and get some updates on the Health Equity Institute and in relationship with BMO, uh, the uh, workforce and development. So I, I've, I've known only one other really rich, well-working model, and that's with UPMC in the state that Dr. Nash and I share, even though he's in Florida right now. But when he's in Pennsylvania, uh, they have a pathways to work program similar to what Russia's done. Uh, and that's an example of, of one of many that need to be instituted to help the economics of a society because when there's downturns those populations don't move out they are stuck with those situations and trying to either get out of their situation or shift service to labor type jobs so i wanted to get an update maybe on those pillars and starting with dr uh, ansel how is the workforce development program going or, or how's the community engagement program any of the pillars that your health equity institute touches wanted to get the update in the last two years here well, it's, it's, it predates uh, two years ago. One of the first things we realized, we have the communities outside our doors, uh, which one can, you know, look at the health outcomes and all of those details, you know, leveraging epidemiologic data, uh, like we get quality data for uh, the hospitals. But we actually have the community that's inside our doors, uh, our workers, many of whom come from these, uh, these, these uh, neighborhoods. And all we needed to do was ask them. And we named our internal community, our employees, as our first community. And we did listening tours of them as we did uh, outside. And what people really wanted uh, were pathways uh, to uh, growth. And you have an industry right now that's starving for workers. Uh, the healthcare industry, a lot of shortages, and there's going to be continued uh, shortages. And historically, what you needed to do was get a, a degree or an advanced degree. It used to be, you know, when I started, you could get a nerd, get a nursing degree, certainly just by going to a three-year school. So we're going back to this idea of stackable certificates and creating pathways that lead into wealth for not only incumbent workers, but from people uh, from the community. This is such an important idea at Rush built into our work of the Institute that every week, we stand in front of a whiteboard and ask the question, How? what was the percent of local hires that we hired last week? Uh, and it's central to the work. And then we also measure uh, uh, ourselves against the local living wage, uh, prevailing uh, wage to see how well are we doing uh, as an organization on that. So we really take seriously the idea that as a big employer, uh, our low, lower wage employees need to have pathways uh, to get into other careers. It's slow moving. It doesn't move as fast uh, as would like it, but we've had a great deal of success. And it's a big focus uh, of our work is this idea of healthcare jobs and pathways into wealth, uh, solving the problems for us, uh, but also solving the problems for, for our uh, first community uh, and their family members. 
And that's amazing because it shows how deep your roots are. You're invested and you see that turn over into valuing not only your community locally, but also your health system as well. It's just a beautiful cycle. And I'm interested, Dr. Nash and then uh, Dr. Latif, I have a kind of a compelling look into the future question for you. Uh, but Dr. Nash, um, let's talk about the influence of Rush Medical for a moment. Who else has started to really adopt this type of playbook? And and you're from, you're, you're all over the coast. You were in California just last month in Chicago, and now you're in Florida, and you do so many different conferences and talks. Who else is picking up this type of playbook across the U.S. healthcare economy? Yeah, well, sadly, it's a short answer, Brian. <laughs> uh, I think Rush sets a fantastic high bar example, but let's listen carefully to what uh, uh, Dr. Ansel and Dr. Latif have said. You know, this is a 10-year journey or more that they have been on with multiple community-based organizations. So I think there are at least uh, you know three challenges that I see. You know, one committed long-term leadership uh, uh, people like Dr. Ansel working in the community. Two, uh, collaboration with community-based organizations who, in many cities, are fearful or worse as it relates to the hospitals. And then three, a uh, sense of collaboration with other delivery systems. So the timeline, the collaboration, both in the community and with other providers, uh, this is a tough uh, trio of characteristics to find in many other cities. It's a polite way of my saying, you know, frankly, as it relates to the 150 academic medical centers in the United States, uh, I have a hard time coming up with more, more than a handful that have achieved the kinds of results that Westside United has. Now, the good news that Dr. Ansel sort of alluded to, and I want to reinforce, as soon this won't be a voluntary activity, it'll be mandatory. Meaning these kinds of measures are going to be deeply baked into joint commission accreditation, evaluation measures, uh, CMS measures, uh, managed care measures. So we are headed to a world where uh, hopefully in our remaining lifetime here, it's going to be, uh, you know, no outcome, no income. And included in those outcome measures will be the kinds of the leading equity-based measures that you're hearing from uh, in Westside United. So short answer, a handful of organizations with this level of commitment to the community, uh, better long-term answer, uh, we won't have a choice. I, I think there's one other comment I'd like to make, which is, Look, places like Jefferson and Rush and all the other amazing uh, academic medical centers that are the envy of the world, at this moment, every one of these places is hemorrhaging money. So in the post-COVID era, you know, what are we going to do with these places? Uh, what's the new model? And I guess for me, selfishly, personally speaking, what's our true north? If our true north is to improve the health of the population, uh, well, I think you could argue based on the evidence that uh, we have not done such a great job. So it's going to take leadership from the board down to chief executives, to chief medical officers, and many other folks to say, what's our true north? We're going to look in the mirror and ask a very difficult question, especially in light of the financial pressures. So as we talk about in how COVID crashed the system, we have to have different 
kinds of incentives so that when you ask a question three years from now, name many other places that are doing this, I'll be able to name them off the top of my head. And I hope that vision comes true. And, and I share that with you as well, Dr. Nash. And, and even to what you're saying is if you're not prepared as a healthcare system or a health plan up here at this time, you better get prepared because it's going to be a part of HIDAS measures. It's going to be a part of value-based contracting. It's going to be a part exactly. of member satisfaction. It's going to be woven into CAP surveys, Medicare star ratings, everything across the board. So in thinking about that, I want to wrap our, our wonderful, well-rounded conversation with uh, with Dr. Latif. Uh, I normally, Dr. Latif, ask uh, our amazing guests to take a look in their crystal ball down four years uh, the road here, five years plus. But it seems like really, if we're going to make a difference, it has to be incremental, year by year, uh, 24 months at a time. So in a shorter stance, what do you think the biggest impacts of the Health Equity Institute at Rush Medical Center are going to be for your your staff, your patients, and your community? What, what do you think is really going to highlight the good work you're doing that's going to influence other healthcare systems to follow that path? Ryan, I don't think there's a single program in any institution that's going to be the uh, trigger for institutions to change. Either you're in or you've you've turned your head and you're missing out on everything that's there. If the very fact that an institution has an institute around healthcare equity is the motivation for every institution in the country to do it. But what, what David said, which can't be understated, is that we're asking challenged healthcare institutions right now that are literally over 80% of the hospitals in this country right now are losing money. We're asking those healthcare systems to build equity institutes that will net lose more. So it's the it's the strategic decision and the wherewithal to say we are going to take this fight that will lead to the change that we're going to have in the next five years. It's not any one program within it. It's a fact that we've developed programs and called it out, lifted it up to the level of the entire organization and said, this is what we're going to invest in. Anybody can invest in these challenges during amazing times in our economy. I think healthcare now has to show the grit over the next five years to continue investing in them at one of the most important inflection points of healthcare in our nation's history. And so where I'm optimistic is there's we are we are living in a country with incredible innovation and spirit and one where grit has never been on the short end. But this is a time to pivot how we're taking care of patients, open up access and provide care for all people and treat healthcare as a human right. If we do that, it doesn't matter what program is in the, in the institute. It's the themes of not just our institute, the Institute of Jefferson, and in every other organization in the country. You got to have it. You got to have the themes. Unless to this, you know, uh, and I think Omar and I subscribe to this. Is we signed up for this because um, we wanted to be we wanted to be part of healing companies. You know, companies that heal. I mean, the work of healthcare is to heal individuals, families, populations. You know, uh, does anyone believe that the way we're doing it now or have been done it historically is the right way? Uh, I think that's where the innovation comes in. We know it's costly. We know we're getting the worst outcomes. We know that really stiff economic headwinds. We chose to do this uh, as an organization and as part of our, we say part of our DNA, 
Uh, but navigating from now to the future is going to us to really rethink uh, everything that we've uh, made assumptions about the nature of delivery and the nature of reimbursement. Uh, because, uh, you know, what we've seen is uh, growing in this country as, as uh, expansion of healthcare, largely Medicaid, uh, the aging of the population, people like uh, David and me are going to live, you know, live for a long time and uh, uh, be customers of these services. We have to really think, so back to the innovation, we have to just sort of say that the island we've been on may not be the island of the future, and it's going to be those leaders who do not give up their values, uh, given these headwinds, but move in to sort of rethink the way the delivery system has worked to serve the needs of everyone in the population. That's going to make the difference. What does that look like? I can't tell you. I just know. I just know it can't be more of the same. Uh, that's all I know. And hopefully, there's enough of us around this country, as Omar said, grit, uh, innovation, determination, the ability to solve problems, that we can move uh, move uh, ahead with this. We've seen examples of this in our work. Uh, uh, there was a giant gap in breast cancer mortality in Chicago. And we decided to take it on simply by getting people around the region to begin to look at the quality of the care they were providing and then redesigning it uh, and redesigning, including multiple partners. And we see saw the uh, black breast cancer mortality drop. We think there are ways to uh, eliminate or reduce the death gap, but it's going to require real forward thinking uh, and not business as usual. I love those final comments. So it takes a collective effort. It takes more than healthcare. It takes grit now more than ever for healthcare institutions to invest in health equity, but calling out large national health plans to be able to partner here, large pharmacy in the retail setting, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing's health tech, uh, data suppliers, everyone can contribute to this space. And uh, while we're at it, uh, uh, Dr. Latif, Dr. Ansel, thank you for the final words. Dr. Nash, can you bring us home, give us some some final words here and, and close us out? Sure, I can't predict, there's no future in predicting the future, but uh, imagine a world where the death gap and how COVID crashed the system are required reading in every medical school, nursing school, and pharmacy school. Then I'll know that we have made some progress. I love that. You could not end this conversation in a better way. I'm so thankful to Dr. Latif, Dr. Ansel, and good friend Dr. Nash for coming on the Healthcare Rethink podcast. And for more insights and excerpts from our show, please go to finthrive.com. <laughs>